unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
you would be making your way in, it's almost time to begin our services this morning. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad to have you. And we ask that if you will fill out the friendship register that's in the back of the pew in front of you so we can have a record of your attendance. Our order of worship this morning, we have a special guest with us this morning, Mr. Wiley Dean will be leading us in singing. Uh, Jim Estes will have our opening prayer followed by Chris Langley with our scripture reading. And Brother Stephen Hodgen will bring our lesson of the hour. That will follow with Doug Greenway. We'll have our closing announcements. Before we begin worship this morning, I have a letter that I'd like to read. Maydeen Crow fell outside late yesterday. She broke her upper arm right below her shoulder. She's at home in a sling today and will see an orthopedic doctor tomorrow at one o'clock. Please pray for pain relief and that this can be repaired without surgery. Before we get started with the worship this morning, would you bow with me please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity we have to come and worship you in song and praise. Father, we know we have many of our number that are sick, that are lost loved ones, and those that are traveling to and from this week. Father, we ask that you comfort them and protect them as only you can. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with Sister Maydeen and those that are in charge of her care, that she may have a speedy and painless recovery as possible, Father. We ask you to be with each one of us this morning as Brother Stephen brings the lesson, Father, that we may be attentive and apply what he says to our everyday lives. Father, we ask you to continue to go with us throughout this week and guide, guard, and protect us. And Father, forgive us for we have failed thee. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Am I on? The mic on? Okay. Uh, we're going to sing songs about grace this morning, and, and Stephen's going to preach about grace. We're going to ask you to stand for this first one. And I'm going to warn you, this is my arrangement. So watch the notes. And we're going to raise the pitch on the third and fourth verse, so just be looking out. Amazing grace,
Great.
our loving, almighty, heavenly Father. We praise thee this morning. We know, Father, that you are all-powerful, that you are all-wise, that you are all-loving. We thank you, Father, for planning for our future, for your willingness to include the sacrifice of your Son in that plan. We thank you, Father, for the Bible. We know it contains our roadmap to heaven. And Father, as we worship you this morning, we pray that you would accept all that we do. Father, we pray for the church worldwide. We pray that the light should shine brightly. We pray for all of our missionaries. And we pray for this congregation. We pray for the eldership. We pray that you would bless us with the ability and determination to shepherd the flock. We pray for the deacons as they lead their respective ministries. We pray for the preachers and the Bible school teachers with the courage and understanding to teach and practice your truth. And we pray for the total membership with biblical understanding of your expectations and with the commitment to stand for you. We're thankful, Father, for the parents in this, fam in this family of yours. We pray for their courage and ability to parent their children, both with teaching and with example. And Father, we, we know that many of our Church family are traveling this week, and we pray for the safety, their safety on their journeys. Father, we have several who are sick and recovering or injured. We pray for John Roten and Quitman Wigington in their rehab. We pray for Sister Maydeen Crow. We pray that you would minimize her pain and grant her a quick and complete recovery from her injuries. We pray for Jackie Lambert as she recovers from her surgery for, for a broken hip. And we pray for Mary Sullivan as she recovers from her heart surgery. Father, this morning we pray for Brother Stephen Hodgen as he shares your word with us. And Father, we pray for our country. We pray that you would help us to return to being a nation that respects you. Father, we're so thankful that our country has declared this a time of thanksgiving, and we pray that through this national recognition, there will be a move back towards respecting your word. Father, we, we know that you are the great example of love, and we pray that you would help us in our lives to love one another. We pray that the world would see how we act and want to be like you as well. We give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be taken from the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 2 through 8. I'll be reading from the New International uh, Version. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ and according with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he, has had, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Nothing less than Jesus' blood
contemplating the subject that I have um, prayerfully prepared. The grace of God is an awesome, powerful thing. So this morning, as we get into our lesson this morning, one of the things that I have tried to do as I've gotten older through the years is to try to be observant of, of wisdom and wise practices and then try to emulate those practices uh, when uh, possible. And one of the practices that I have noticed uh, that our own Brother Ken is that he begins all, if, most if not all of his lessons by reminding us that we are still worshiping when the preacher is preaching and we are studying, listening to God. And then he prays for our focus and his focus. And I believe that's a very wise practice, and with your permission, um, I'm going to emulate that this morning because I think it is something that is good. So bow with me, please. Our most gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here today. We are mindful of many who are sick and who cannot be here, and we pray for them and their caregivers we are mindful of many of our own family who are traveling, and we pray for their safety and their safe return. But especially, Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning and we consider what you have said and continue to say at this moment about your matchless grace, may we continue to be in a frame of worship and in a mind of willingness to listen and to hear what you have to say. And Father God, I pray that you will humble me as you see fit and allow me, even when I don't do this as well as it could be done, that you will be with those who are listening to your truth, that your word will always have the effect that you want it to have. May all the glory, honor, praise be to you. In Jesus we pray, amen. This morning, as we get started, when you read in the book of Genesis and you begin there and you start thinking about what uh, you read in chapter 6, God looked down upon his creation and found that the world was in disarray. It was in social chaos. It was in sin, immorality on every corner. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great and it grieved him in his heart. So much so that he made the choice to destroy and begin anew. But then we get to verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That Hebrew word and translated in the Septuagint, translated into Greek means the same in both. The idea of finding favor, being approved, being accepted in the eyes of another. And here we're talking about God and we'll dig into that a little bit in just a minute. But in the midst of all of that, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So it was through Noah that God unfolded his plan for man to continue, for his uh, truth, his servants to continue. And then I move over into the New Testament and I begin to read in John, uh, the first chapter, or, and, I, and I read, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And I, I begin to wonder about this Word and I move down to verse 14 and I find very clearly written for me about whom John was speaking. He's talking about Jesus. And he said in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And then in verse uh, 17, um, verse 17, John says this. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, came by Jesus Christ. So God's grace and his truth comes through Jesus Christ. But I think about this grace. We talk a lot about truth, but when we sing about grace and we think about grace and we, we think about grace being uh, uh, Jesus being the embodiment of grace and through uh, Jesus, the grace of God comes to us. What is this grace exactly? What is this grace about which we're studying and about which I'm speaking this morning? Uh, if you look it up in the, de the definition, the Greek word, we often hear this definition, unmerited favor. What exactly is unmerited favor? Well, it's favor you don't um, uh, deserve. It's favor that you can earn. True again, very true. But this idea of God's grace, this unmerited favor, finding approval in the eyes of God, finding approval uh, through uh, God when God looks at me in my life, what exactly does that mean? What is this grace? How does it work? What does it do? Is it just an academic thing? Is it just something if I will check the boxes and do what God says do and don't do the things God says don't do, if I will simply do the acts of obedience, then God's grace will save me and, and that's the end of that. Folks, when we read in God's word and we study just a little bit deeper, we dig a little bit deeper, we find that that doesn't even scratch the surface of what God says about his grace and what he does with it. So this morning, in fact, if you keep up with such things and have ever heard me preach before, you might write this down because this is the first time in 35 years I think I've ever had a two-point sermon. Because it didn't need but two. And so with that said, and, and uh, uh, Adam knows this, where we went to school, that was, an, you know, you didn't do that. You did three points. But we don't need three this morning. We just need to answer two questions or understand two things about the grace of God. And first is simple. It is by God's grace that we are saved as sinners. 157 times in 147 verses in the New Testament, the word grace is mentioned and used, and it's the same word every time. This approval... This love and mercy that God has and he wants to approve of us so much that this grace is extended to us. But what does it do? Number one, it is by God's grace that we are saved. In Ephesians chapter one and verse seven that Chris read just a moment ago. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. How many times have you heard that preached? In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, not a single person in this room can be, will be saved. That's an amen. But I want you to notice that forgiveness of sins, that redemption through his blood is according to the riches of his grace. The richness of God's grace not only made Jesus the Savior on the cross, not only does it save us through the blood that we contact when we obey and are baptized into Christ and we put on Christ and the old man is dead in sin, Romans 6. But as we live our lives, it is according to the riches of God's grace that he makes it possible for us to be saved and continue to live a saved life. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, 
This is said about Jesus. The Hebrew writer said that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone, for everyone. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. We'll turn to a few this morning. And here's one of them. Ephesians chapter two. I want us to look at verses five through 10. And while you're turning there, let me remind you of what Paul wrote in Romans 3, 23. Now, nod your head if you've heard this verse before. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Of course you have. But never from this day forth, read verse 23 without hearing verse 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in his son, Christ Jesus. We are justified freely through redemption that's in Christ. Yes, by obedience. Yes, by faithful living. But it is through, it is always through the richness and the freeness of the grace of God. And we're just barely touching the surface. In Ephesians chapter 2, start reading with me verse 5. I hope you'll read with me with your copy of God's Word or you'll give attention to it. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Notice the connection there. This morning, I want you to understand the relationship that you have with God and that you have with God's grace because they are one and the same. And raised us up together, verse 6, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Don't ever think about the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't ever think about the, uh, Jesus who was born in the city of Bethlehem and laying in a manger as we often will talk about here. Uh, people will begin to talk about very shortly. Don't ever think about the Jesus who walked the Sea of Galilee, who calmed that sea, who uh, raised the dead and, and healed the sick and caused the blind to <coughs> Sorry, me. caused the blind to see. Don't think about him who hung on a Roman cross and then was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose the third day and ascended back to heaven. Don't think of that as a historical event. Don't think of that as an academic understanding, but think of that as an outpouring of God's kindness. God was kind toward us in his exceeding richness of his grace that all of that happened. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, in the very first place, I understand it's by God's grace that we are saved. I cannot save myself. I cannot do anything. Yes, I have to obey the gospel. Yes, I have to submit myself to God's will completely denying myself. But none of that will ever endear me to God. It is His grace that provides the blood of Jesus. It is His grace that puts the power into the act of obedience when I'm baptized into Christ. So this morning, if you're not in Christ, if you've never obeyed the gospel, understand that without the grace of God, there is nothing you will ever do that will 
calls you to not be doomed. Nothing you can do to save yourself. It is by God's grace that we are saved. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know that. I want you to know that. I want you to remember that. But number two, we could stop there and end the sermon. But often I feel like we forget what the grace of God does for every Christian. Maybe you're asking the question, wait a minute, what does the grace of God do for Christians? He said, by grace you're saved through faith. So when I obey and I'm faithful, that covers it, right? Like grace is like an umbrella that follows me around. Absolutely not. Grace is more powerful than that. Let's look at a few verses that suggest that. No, that show us that. Number two, point number two. It is by God's grace that we live as Christians. Wait, I thought we live by the gospel. We do. 2 Peter 1, 3. I thought we live by faith. Absolutely. Romans 1, 17. Ephesians 4, 1. But understand that those are hand in hand in tandem with power that we don't tap into. It is by God's grace that we live as Christians. Number one, in Psalm, or, or first, in Psalm 84 and verse 11, the psalmist said, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. Listen to this. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Listen to that. God is a sun and a shield. He gives grace. He gives glory. He won't inhold, uh, withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. That makes me think of first. John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Absolutely. But don't you understand it is the grace of God that in strengthens me, empowers me, helps me as I strive to walk in the light. That's what the psalmist said. But let's keep going. In Hebrews chapter 12, when I start reading in verse 14 and 15, I read these words. Pursue peace with all people. Pursue holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Did you hear that? Pursue holiness because without holiness you cannot please the Lord. But he goes on to say, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the glory. Or excuse me, fall short of the grace of God. Wait a minute. Did you hear what the Hebrew writer just said to us? You and I, as we live our lives, as we walk in the light, as we uh, uh, live through the power of grace, according to this verse, we can fall short of the grace of God. That's a sobering thought to me this morning. Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. Here, this is talking about Barnabas. When he came and had seen the grace of God, Barnabas went to the church in Antioch. When he came and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with all purpose of heart, they could, should continue in the Lord. When he saw the grace of God, wait a minute, he encouraged them to continue, to continue doing what? He encouraged them to continue with the Lord. Now see, that's right. I have purpose of heart to be a Christian. I continue doing what the Lord said. That's right. But did you hear what was said about Barnabas? When he went and saw those people who had purpose of heart, when he came and observed those people who were continuing with the Lord, he continued them to keep doing that. But what did Barnabas see? He saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God in their hearts. He saw it where? In their lives. He, saw, he heard it in their words. He saw it in their worship. 
as he worshiped with them. He saw it in their service as they went about their business of living for God every day. Does God see? Do others see the grace of God in me? That is a question that is very sobering, very powerful. In Acts 20 and verse 32, before the Apostle Paul left uh, on his journey to Rome, he left the Ephesians elders. He said this, The brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Okay, here comes the connection. Are you with me this morning? Notice the relationship between the grace of God and the word of God. When I study the word of God, nod your head if you agree with this, that it is possible if we are not careful that we can see the word of God, we can see the gospel of Christ as an academic volume and we can read it academically and we can study it historically and we can even look at it sociologically and think about if we do this, then this will happen. We can have peace if we'll do that. We can have uh, happiness if we do that. But folks, it was never meant to be that. We have peace and we have happiness and we have all of those things as God's blessings, as his gift. And we have all of those things because we are following the word of his grace. His word and his grace work in tandem. They are one and same in purpose. So he said, I commend you to the word of his grace that he has given you so that through his grace, as you follow his word, you are able to continue being what it is that he wants you to be. And that was Paul's prayer for them. It should be our prayer for us. I think about the works. When I read this verse, I couldn't help but think about uh, Boonville and what Boonville is trying to do as a church family. But Paul prayed here, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He could have put a period there, but he didn't. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, having all sufficiency, and all, pardon me, sometimes I out-talk my voice, that having all sufficiency in all things, you may have abundance to every good work. Did you hear what Paul said to that group of Christians? He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Why? So we can be happy? No. So we can be fat and full? No. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you can be completely, sufficiently filled with everything you need so that you can complete every good work. Remember Ephesians 2 verse 10? God created us, saved us through grace, by faith, so we could be his workmanship, created for good works. And I think about Colossians. Well, before we get there, I can't help but think about 1 Corinthians 15, 10, not even up there. Remember what Paul said? He said, for by, by the grace of God, I am. You know, this morning I'm preaching. To my, when I started studying, I realized I was studying for me. And I realized I'd be preaching to myself this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, you know what Paul said there? Before he got in deep into the understanding of the resurrection, he said, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is by God's grace that I am able to write this letter. I am able to do these things. I am able to be what it is that God has allowed me to be. It is by his grace that I am what I am. 
And I have spent too many days in my life uh, pondering and, and pining over the shortcomings and, and things that I wish I could do and why can't I do this better and all of this stuff. And then I realized none of that should ever have been a concern for it is by the grace of God that I am able to be exactly where I am and do exactly what I do. And every single one of us should look at ourselves in the mirror and say, thank you, God, for the grace by which you have saved me and empowered me to be who I am. Now, if the person looking back at you in the mirror is living in sin, then your relationship with grace is not what it should be. But then I think about uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, as we move on to Colossians 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, remember what Paul said, that's the verse about the thorn in the flesh. And this is all I'm going to say about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Didn't matter what it was, didn't matter where it was, didn't matter how many times a day Paul dealt with it or prayed about it or thought about it. But I know this, God's answer was his answer to Paul and it's his answer to us. Regardless of what it is you struggle with, regardless of what it is this morning that may be keeping you beyond serving the way you should be, what may be keeping you out of a covenant relationship with God this morning. God said, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't matter how good you are or how not good you are at something. I'll be honest, I'll tell you, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to claim thorn in the flesh priority because that puts me at a level with Paul and I don't deserve that. But I can tell you right now, and if you've known me long, you're going to laugh, and I'm not trying to make you laugh, but you can't, you're not going to be able to help it. But if you've known me long, you know that one of my shortcomings is my mouth. Sometimes my mouth broadcasts when it ought to be tuned in. Sometimes my mouth cranks up more than I, than I can drive, and I have messed up. But when Paul, when I hear God say, my grace is sufficient for you, you can, despite your misgivings, your shortcomings, your failings, you can continue to serve just how I have it for you in the plan. That gives me great courage. When I read Colossians 3 and verse 16, please don't use Colossians 3 and verse 16 as just a reference when you are talking about the biblical authority of whether or not there should be instruments of music. Oh, we so miss that verse if we do that. That verse says, singing with grace in your heart. Now, one of the things I think we're blessed with here at Boonville, and this morning is no exception, Brother Wiley, is that we sing with grace in our hearts. When we sing with grace in our hearts, then God is being praised and he's hearing that. When you sing, is it from a depth of grace? Now, by the way, you can't sing with grace. He didn't, see, he didn't say sing with with graceful hearts. He said, sing with grace in your hearts. And unless I read that verse wrong, that means there's got to be grace in my heart first before I can sing from it. Does the grace of God dwell in your heart? In Colossians 4, in verse 6, the reference is on the screen. He said, let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt that you know, may know how to answer everyone. Do you have, in fact, if you go in that office back there that, that's got my name on it, you'll see something on the wall, and it's on the wall in several places. 
uh, in different places. It said, no matter what happens, no matter how you are, or you feel about it or before you react, soak it in grace. Soak it in grace. Do I soak? That's what I tell Maywood staff every year in a staff meeting. Before you respond and react, soak it in grace. Do I let my words soak in grace before I utter them in every situation? You see, the word of God or the grace of God helps us live as Christians when we talk. Helps us live as Christians as we worship. And when I read Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God that has appeared, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Oh, that's a great verse. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. Keep reading. Teaching us after the grace has saved us. It doesn't stop. The grace of God continues to teach us and help us to do what? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live seriously, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present time, in this present age. Do you want to know how to live in a world going amok? In a world that is embracing all kinds of immorality? Titus 2.12 tells you how to do that. The grace of God teaches us and helps us to live the way God wants us to live. Folks, as Christians, we understand if, if the grace of God is guiding us, we can't Involve ourselves in acts of sexual morality, fornication, adultery, and expect the grace of God to cover us. We can't involve ourselves, uh, uh, entertain ourselves with things that are blatantly immoral and unacceptable according to the word of God. Not if we want the grace of God to guide us. We can't clothe ourselves in a way, regardless of what fashion tells us or the world tells us, we can't clothe ourselves in a way that doesn't fit the biblical principle of modesty, not if the grace of God is guiding us. How we establish our homes and how we live our lives and, and on that list could go, teaching us to do what? Denying ungodliness, worldly lust. See, he said the grace of God does that. So sometimes I fear that we read the Bible and say, here are things that the Bible says I shouldn't do. Here's what the Bible says. But you know, I've been thinking, stop thinking. Because the grace of God is behind every single word. The grace of God empowers you to live those words and be the person that God would have you to be. But do I allow him to do that? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, when I read that particular passage, Let's read that passage together. I want us to look at that passage. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Now watch what we read there. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the kingdom. And he said in verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. Okay, to me that brings everything we've talked about, everything we've studied, everything we understand into absolute clarity and clear focus. According to that verse, I can read Colossians 1, uh, 14. 
in whom we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I can back up and read verse 13 of Colossians 1, talking about God who has delivered us out of the power of darkness. How? Through Jesus. You with me so far? Translated us into the, uh, here it, kingdom. But hear what the Hebrew writer said. Since we are receiving of a kingdom, if we're in the kingdom, what did he say? He said very clearly, let us have, uh, have grace, God's grace. Why? Because it is by God's grace we serve God acceptably. See, the grace of God has a much more powerful place in my life than I may give it uh, credit. 2 Peter 1 and verse 2 talks about we have grace and peace through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Peter. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, we can't grow in knowledge if we don't grow in grace. Do we allow the grace of God to make a difference in our lives? So, a lot of verses this morning. Two simple points. It is by the grace of God that we are saved as sinners. It is also by the grace of God that we live as Christians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, when I read that particular passage or verse number 1, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Understand me this morning, we can receive the grace of God in vain. Are you a child of God this morning? If not, are you willing to accept Christ as your Savior? That means that you are willing to repent of your sins. Confess Christ as the Son of God. Acts uh, 10 and verse 26, or Acts 11 and verse, well, Acts 17, there it is. Acts 17 and verse 30. Uh, are you willing to confess Christ? Romans 10 and verse 10. Are you willing to obey the gospel? Be buried with Christ in baptism. Romans, 1, uh, or Romans 6, 1 through 6. The idea of contacting the blood of Christ, being uh, united with him in his death and then in his resurrection. See, that's all through the grace of God. But notice here, we can receive it. Paul went on to say in verse 2, today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. If you haven't received the grace of God to the salvation of your souls through the obedience of your life, what are you waiting on? But then if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a child of God, I ask you this. Is the grace of God empty in your life because of the life that you're choosing? Whoops, sorry. The life that you're choosing to live I think about 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1. What Paul say to Timothy? Be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For time's sake, we won't read all of Hebrews 10, 28 through 31, but he talks about those who died under Moses' law. He talks about how, how uh, of greater punishment we will be if we trod underfoot the Son of God. And then he says, insult the spirit of grace, the new King James says. Do you understand that if you willfully disobey God, if you willfully live a life of sin, if you willfully reject what you know to be God's truth, and now you understand God's grace, then you are stepping on the, resurrect, the, the uh, crucified and risen Savior and counting him as nothing. 
and you're insulting the spirit of grace by which God has reached out to you and continues to reach out to you to save you, to empower you, to strengthen you, and ultimately to take you home to heaven. And if you walk away from that this morning, then you're insulting the spirit of grace. And I don't know about you, but that verse really gets my attention. I thought verse 31 got my attention. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But then I think about falling into the hands of the living God who looks at me and said, you insulted my spirit of grace. You stepped on the risen Savior who died for you. What in the world were you thinking? And then I think about Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and we'll, we'll close with that one. You know what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ our Lord, let us hold fast our confession. What else does it say? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all point tempted like as we are, period. No, not period. Let us then come boldly to the throne of grace. But why? Why do we come boldly to the throne of grace? So we can find grace, find mercy to help in time of need. Do you need to come to the throne of grace this morning? If we can help you do that, we'll pray for you. We'll help you in your obedience. We'll help you in your repentance. We'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. We can come to God, to the throne of grace, through the power of prayer, as we submit ourselves to God. And it is that grace more powerful than I ever understood until I studied this lesson specifically. Grace of God is awesome. If you need to respond this morning, won't you do that right now while we stand and while we sing? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
just hold your hand as the ushers come by and they will give you one. As we come as part of the service this morning is to partake of the Lord's Supper. Just like they did in Acts 27. We need to clear our minds of anything might be in it and center it completely on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In Matthew 28, 26 and 29, Jesus met his apostles. And they partake of the Lord's Supper. He said he wouldn't take it again until he'd done it in the kingdom of God. And Matthew 18, 20, he said he's in the midst of us. Paul also in 1 Corinthians 11, if you study that, he, he repeats the same words that Jesus did in Matthew 28. Saying that, let's, let us offer thanks for the loaf. Our Father in heaven, we give our thanks for this bread which does represent the body of Christ. We pray, Father, that we'll partake of this in a way that it will be pleasing unto him. In Christ's name, amen. Let us also thank for the fruit of the vine. Father in heaven, we give our thanks for this fruit of the vine which does represent Jesus' blood there on that cross. We pray, Father, that we will protect us this way be acceptable unto thee. In Christ's name, amen. Now on a higher plane I dwell, and with my soul I know as well. Yet how or why, I cannot tell, he should have lifted me from sinking sand he lifted me with tender hand he lifted me from shades of night to plains of light oh praise his name 
you will bow with me. Our Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that we could be here together to worship this morning. As we come to this part of our worship, Father, we thank you for all of our blessings. We thank you for your love for us and how you provide for us and how you keep your promises. And we're thankful, Father, this morning that we can return a portion back to you. We thank you, Father, for our health and uh, that allows us to work and earn a living. And we just uh, thank you for how you do provide for us. And we know there's much work, uh, so many ministries here and so much work going on. We pray that what we give back today will do much good. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Aren't you glad you were here today? <clears throat> we do have a few announcements before we're dismissed. Uh, a few prayer requests. We need to keep uh, Jim Thompson. He suffered a massive heart attack Friday and is in ICU at Magnolia. This is uh, Tom Wade's uncle. Uh, they're trying to find him a room, but keep this family in our prayers. Also, Brenda and Ava Jacobs, who have been very sick with COVID the past couple of weeks. And also last Sunday, Ava was bitten by a brown recluse spider and has suffered greatly. Uh, they have, re they have uh, requested our prayers. Anna Jennings, his five-year-old niece of Mary Dooley, is in Labonner with a very serious skin condition. So please keep this group in our prayers. We had 317 in attendance today. Reminder that the youth Thanksgiving is tonight at the Elliott's house. The bus will leave after class tonight. And also remember that the midweek service this week will be Tuesday night at seven o'clock and then we'll have a pie supper following in the annex. That's all of our announcements. If you'll stand, we'll close with a word of prayer. Most beautiful, loving, and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to come here and worship you and hear your word. 
God, we know that we do not deserve your love and your grace, but we are so thankful that you give it to us anyway. God, please help us this week to soften our hearts and open our hearts to your word. And we're thankful for this time that we'll have this week with family. Please let us enjoy our time together with those we love the most and just know that that's a blessing from you. And God, we ask that you please forgive us for all of our sins this past week. Just please help us be a little better today than we were yesterday, God. And if you allow us to see tomorrow, please help us be better tomorrow than we were today. We love you so much and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.